man. Well, <clears throat> we have spent uh, the last uh, 10 weeks uh, through the summer uh, looking at what we have called, uh, what are called the means of grace. These are the conduits uh, through which God dispenses his grace uh, to us and even at times uh, uses us as a conduit to dispense his grace uh, to others. We have defined grace as God's undeserved and unearned favor in our lives. And as we think about the means of grace, the more um, obvious means of grace, and we talked about these throughout the series and at different times, but the more obvious means of grace are worship as we spend time as we did you know, in the 20 or so minutes that we were singing songs, singing praises to our God, a God is in that time dispensing grace to us. We think about the word of God, reading it for ourselves, hearing it preached is a means by which God dispenses his unearned and undeserved favor in our lives. We think about prayer as a means of grace, but also, and we talked about these in the series, rest or Sabbath is a means of God's grace. We think about Christian friendship and how that's a way that God dispenses his grace to us through others. Giving is a means of his grace and so is service. And it's this last one serving that we want to focus on in this final message. And when we think about this matter of serving, the reality is that, that professing Christians, everybody who's hearing my voice right now, if you're in the room or you're watching on the live stream, professing Christians fall into one of three categories when it comes to serving. And so the question is this, am I serving, first of all, gladly? Am I serving gladly? Like I really love the way I get to serve. Or am I serving under compulsion? And under compulsion is, you know, Jeannie calling you, our director of children's ministry, Jeannie calling you and saying, you have kids in Harvest, uh, Harvest Kids and you have to serve at least once a month. You don't necessarily want to, but you do it once a month under compulsion. So you serve, but it's under compulsion. Or am I serving? Thirdly, not at all. And again, if you're hearing me and you're a professing Christian, you're falling into one of these three categories. And the hope is that every Christian would be serving gladly. We'll take you serving under compulsion if we have to. The hope is we can move you from serving under compulsion to serving gladly. And if you're not serving at all, we hope to move you at least to serving under compulsion, but perhaps serving gladly as well. And each of you alone can assess at this moment, as we get into this message, which category you fall into. The reality of the situation is that the last two and a half years have resulted in a drop-off of people willing to volunteer their time. Every pastor that I talk to, and we, we're constantly comparing notes, what's happening in your church, what's happening in your church, and we're trying to learn things from each other. And as we've compared notes coming out of the last two and a half years, it's pretty obvious among the top two or three things that every pastor is talking about is the drop-off of people willing to serve in the church. Almost without fail, as I talk to pastors and we ask this question, that's what they're going to say. It's just so hard to get people to serve now. Harder than it was before. And it was harder before. It was hard before. And in fact, this is a trend that's happening not just in the church, but across the board in nonprofits. The CBC reported in July that nonprofits in the city of Toronto are seeing a 20% drop off in volunteering. And it's happening at precisely the moment when more needs are surfacing. In the article, this is what they said, community groups in Toronto have seen a decline in the number of volunteers over the past year, and experts say pandemic fatigue, 
fear of getting infected with COVID-19, and financial barriers are all contributing to the drop. And when I read that, I get it. I get it. I understand the times. I know what's been happening. I get it. But as a Christian and as a pastor, I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. Not for those, not for those who profess faith in Christ. I get for those who are outside the church, who are, who are volunteering in nonprofits that have nothing to do with the gospel. I get how all of these excuses could actually play into a drop in volunteers. Well, that's not us. We're in a whole different category of people because our calling is higher and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to do the mission that Jesus Christ has put before us. And as we've seen in this series, when we feel weak, when we feel like we can't get it done, God stands ready to dispense the awesomeness and abundance of his grace into our lives to give us the strength to do it. And so what we have for today is this, and it's in your notes and it's on the screen. My work for Christ, and work for Christ is one of those four definitions that we have for a disciple. My work for Christ is a means of his grace to me and to those I serve. Does that sound good? Ready to go after that? I'm a little concerned. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not an easy message. This is not an easy message today. And I'm, and I'm not going to pray again because I've already prayed, so there's no opportunity for you to slip out unnoticed. So this is a tough message, so just buckle up. My work for Christ is a means of his grace to me and to those I serve. So let's start with this. I am equipped to serve. Now, these are all stated as, as first-person pronouns, so you can say this for yourself. But I am equipped to serve. Every Christian has talents. And some Christians are like, well, I don't, I don't know what I could do. I don't know what I'm good at. Well, let me just ask you a question. Just as we get started here, let me just ask you a question. Do you know how to operate a vacuum cleaner? Just raise your hand if you can operate a vacuum cleaner. I'm not asking you if you do operate a vacuum cleaner. I'm just asking you, theoretically, you know how to operate a vacuum cleaner. I'll wait. Until I'm seeing a lot of 20-somethings and teenagers raising their hands right now, parents, just so you know. Okay, no, raise your hands again. I didn't get to see you people on this side. You all know how to use a vacuum cleaner. There's some people still not raising their hand. I don't understand. I mean, the reality is that this place doesn't clean itself. You arrive into a very clean, put-together building. It gets done multiple times in a week because the building is used a lot. And there are people who come here during the week who give the hours whose spiritual gift is operating a vacuum cleaner. And they vacuum all these carpets and they clean this entire building working on Thomas's team. And I only say that because operating a vacuum cleaner is like very low hanging fruit when it comes to serving the Lord. And anybody can do that. So even if you don't know what you can do, I'm telling you right now, every Christian has talents. Everybody has abilities, gifts to serve. In fact, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He said, to each is given, to each, each. If you're a Christian, you're an each. All, we're all eaches, okay? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. He's talking about gifts there. 
the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. In other words, every believer has a gift and the word manifestation refers to the Holy Spirit. This is literally what the word means. The, the spirit showing up in the things that you do, the spirit revealing himself or making himself known through your service. And all of that happens, Paul says, for the common good so that you can all benefit. The person or persons who came in here this week and served Jesus by vacuuming carpets and cleaning floors and dusting everything and making it look nice has served the Lord for the common good of the gathered church. I am equipped to serve. Now in the same passage, Paul then lists a number of the more miraculous gifts or abilities. He talks about tongues. He talks about healing, prophecies. Then he follows it up with some of the more common ones or more mundane gifts, if you will. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he talks about those who have the gift of teaching and those who have the gift of helping and those who have, that might be vacuuming. Helping could be vacuuming. The gift of administration. In Romans 12, he has another short list of, of gifts and he adds ones like exhortation, the ability to encourage people to, to say a word that just lifts them up or, or the gift of generosity, which is, which is the gift of giving. Some people have a knack to make money and they have a generous spirit and God has given them a gift to be able to fund mission in a way that, that most of us are not able to do. We, could, we, we should all be giving but some are able to give at a level that's much higher because that's actually their spiritual gift, this gift of generosity. Or the gift of leadership is also mentioned in Romans 12. The gift of mercy is mentioned in Romans chapter 12 in the list. When we think about this list, there's all kinds of different spiritual gifts. And just thinking about those gifts, the gift of leadership and the gift of mercy. And I go like, I don't have both of those gifts. I, don't, I only have... Like personally, I only have one of those gifts. Do you want to guess which one I have? Leadership or mercy? You want to guess? Yeah. Well, see, most of you know I definitely don't have the mercy gift. So you're like, you're saying he definitely has this gift. Listen, that's why we hired Nathan. He's going to bring the mercy because, um, because that's, not, that's not a gift for me. Now, we all have to show mercy, but there are some people who are just so good at compassion and caring for people and having mercy and and, and just helping people when they're down. And so we have all of these different gifts that show up. In Ephesians 4, in fact, he adds pastoring to the mix. And when it, in pa this is pastoring not in terms of office necessarily, so capital P pastoring, but small p pastoring as a gifting that people can have. So this is not only those who would have the title and be pastoring vocationally, but non-vocational elders are also pastoring. Those who are small group coaches who oversee several small groups in our church are pastoring. Those who are overseeing a single small group as small group leaders are pastoring, small p. They're caring for a dozen people in their families. Well, it's a spiritual gift. And so there isn't one comprehensive list. I just took you to three different passages. And I believe there are other gifts that come out as well that aren't even listed in the scriptures. We might conclude, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, that there are a variety of gifts. There are just many different gifts, not all of which are listed. And the point is simple. Everyone has at least one 
gift or spiritual ability through which the Spirit desires to manifest Himself. You have a gift. If you're a Christian, you have a gift. And the only question is, are you using your gift? And you might say, I don't, I don't really know what my gift is. More often than not, I could say a few things about this. More often than not, it parallels the abilities that are already in us. Maybe things that we do vocationally. We could also apply in the context of the church. Often, but not always, we see school teachers who are teaching children all week long. And then they go, you know, like I just naturally drawn to harvest kids. And sometimes those school teachers are like, I have kids Monday to Friday. That's the last thing I'm doing. Where's the vacuum cleaners? They'd much prefer to go and do something without kids. But sometimes it's going to, what we do in our, in our professional life or how we, how we live in our homes is going to dovetail right into what we do in the church. Administrative people who are just gifted organizationally might find themselves behind a desk or behind a Mac somewhere in the ministry. Business people uh, end up leading teams. None of this should take us by surprise. But if you're still confused at the end of that, you could still go through a few other processes to see whether or not you have a certain gift or you're suited for a certain ministry. The first methodology is, is simply trial and error. That you would sign up for a ministry and go, you know what? I'm just going to try this out for the next four months and see if this is a good fit for me, if, if I'm actually effective in doing this. And I would tell you right now that if, if before this day was out, you found any one of our pastors or ministry directors and you went to them and said, you know what? I just want, I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know what my gifts are, but I, I just want to start somewhere. I want to do something. And I'll tell you, Whichever ministry director or pastor you go to, that one will recruit you to their ministry. So if you go and ask Jeannie, you're going to end up kids ministry. If you go ask Dwayne, you're going to end up as a small group leader or host. If you go and ask Rafi, you're going to end up on one of the connections teams, the welcome teams. Wherever you go and talk, if you talk to Jordan, he's going to recruit you to youth ministry. So go and ask and try something. And four months later, if you're loving it and, and, and there's some effectiveness is coming out of what you're doing, keep doing that. And if not, move on to something else and try. So try trial and error. It might help you out uh, to figure out what you should be doing. Uh, secondly, ask your friends what, what they think you're good at. Go to a friend, somebody who knows you really well. What do you think I'm good at? What do you think I would, where, where I could serve best in the church and get their thoughts on that? Or thirdly, you could do an assessment online, and in the sermon notes, we've given a link to crew.org. This is a great organization, and they have a quick online assessment that you can do uh, that'll uh, point you to the possibility these are your spiritual gifts, and that's where you should be serving. And so, again, you have a gift. Do you know your gift? And are you using that gift for the glory of God? Because this uh, next part is also true. Um, I am part of God's ministry plan. I'm part of God's ministry plan. Yes, God has, I remember taking a course in Bible college called philosophy of ministry. God has a philosophy of ministry that's articulated in the scriptures. He has a certain way that he wants things done in the church. Not so much in the specifics because there's lots of diversity in gospel-centered churches but certainly in the overarching patterns of how we approach being the church. It's laid out for us biblically. And Paul states it this way. This is in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And he gave, speaking of God, 
he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. In other words, he gave key leadership positions in the church. I'm going to ask a series of why questions now, but he gave a series of, of leaders, key leadership positions in the church. Why? To equip the saints. How many saints here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a saint. The people beside you are disputing your claim to be a saint, but biblically, if you're a Christian, your sins have been forgiven, you're a saint. So, so this is the key leaders in the church have been given the task of training all the Christians, the members of the church, equip them, train and disciple every Christian. Why? For the, for the work of the ministry. So God's philosophy of ministry is key leaders train the church to do the ministry. Now listen, why? One more why question. For building up the body of Christ. This is the way the church grows. This is the way it grows uh, qualitatively in depth, but also quantitatively in breadth. This is God's methodology for the church and any notion, and, and this is not a big deal for us here at Harvest, this is not our approach for sure, but any notion that pastors are to be the ones doing everything is an anti-biblical approach to ministry. Any notion that pastors are supposed to be doing all the ministry is an anti-biblical approach to ministry. Denominations that are clergy-centered have abandoned the God-ordained model for ministry, which is everyone serves. Now, listen, that sets the stage. Everything we've said so far, that sets the stage for the church to be all that it can be. But when pastors don't equip and members don't serve, the church fails in its mandate to build up the body of Christ. And so Paul said to Timothy, his young pastoral apprentice, and he's trying to get him to understand this and to work according to his gifts in the church, to put the emphasis in the right place. So Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. Watch how you're living your life. And on the teaching, the gospel that saved you and the gospel that's changing you, but also he was gifted. Timothy was gifted as a, as a pastor and teacher. That was his spiritual gift. That was his calling. So Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Persist in the exercise of your gifts. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your hearers will receive the grace that is being conducted through you to them. Serving in this way is a means of God's grace for us and for those that we serve. Now, that was, that's the easy part of the message. Okay, ready for the hard part? That's the easy part. Those are the two points that lay a foundation for everything that comes next. 
I mean, I don't want anyone to assume when we say that you have a gift and you should be serving because it's part of God's plan. I don't want anyone to assume that ministry is, is easy, that somehow it's as easy as, oh, I do an assessment, I find out my gift, or I do some trial and error, and I find a, a place to serve, and I serve, and I'm just happy all the time serving. Because that's not the reality, and anyone who's served for any length of time knows that that's not the reality. See, I'm to serve, here, see this third, I am to serve even when it's hard. And that needs to be a commitment that we make based on the facts that have been given to us. I am to serve even when it's hard. And even when it's hard falls into three uh, categories itself. Like the ministry itself that we do could be hard. There are certain ministries that are harder to do than others, and they have their own burden attached to them. Or it could be that the ministry is hard because of what I'm going through personally. It has nothing really to do about the ministry, but just where I'm at in my life right now, and it's a really difficult season for me. And so getting to the church or getting with my group or going with my serving team just becomes a little bit harder because of where I'm at in my life right now. So it can be hard because the work is hard. It can be hard because circumstances in my life make it hard. Or it can be hard because you're serving people. And people, are you going to make me say it? People are hard to serve. People can be mean to each other and mean to their leaders and mean to people who are trying to serve them. Yes, people can be awesome and people can be encouraging and it's such a blessing, but, but very often ministry is hard because of the people we're serving. And so I'm to serve even when it's hard. And there's all kinds of biblical examples of, of believers who served and kept serving even when it's difficult for them to do that. There's so many examples throughout history of Christians, missionaries, pastors, servants of, of Christ who kept serving even when things were hard in all the ways. The serving was hard. The people were hard. The circumstances around it were hard. But when I think of hardship in ministry and staying in and staying under, I think of Paul. The apostle Paul had it hard. On top of everything, we'll see it in a moment. On top of everything that he experienced, he had this unrevealed affliction that he was battling throughout his life. He actually went to the Lord multiple times and he said, God, could you remove this from me so that things could be a little easier? Three times the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was God's answer. And he didn't remove the difficulty from Paul's life. My grace is sufficient for you. So if you're feeling like, I just feel so inadequate. I feel like I don't have a lot to give. I feel so weak when I serve. Perfect. Because it's in that moment of weakness and vulnerability that the Holy Spirit comes and gives you grace to actually execute on the ministry. That's the place where God wants us fully dependent on him. It's awesome news for any of us who feel inadequate to the task of serving. Because God gives us his grace. Yeah, we're so quick. When it gets hard, rather than tapping into grace, rather than, 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 than persevering in the thing that we're supposed to be doing, 
We, we, we latch on to any excuse we can possibly find to not serve. Here's how Paul described his ministry. I said we'd come to this. So now Paul's, in his letter to the Corinthians, he's, he's going to explain some of the things that he's been through. He just kept going. Now listen to this. Far greater labors. I mean, I had a lot to do. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. I mean, I just, I'm just going to take a shot here and just say that no one in, in the hearing of this message, no one in the room, no one in the live stream, prior to coming and serving in Harvest Kids on a Sunday, has been able to say that any of this was true of them. You were not in prison. You, you did not endure countless beatings. You were not often near death before you came in to serve. Five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. He kept serving. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Not once have I been shipwrecked on my way to serve here at Harvest. Not even close. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I mean, at what point does Paul just like draw the line and say, you know what? I've had enough danger. I'm going back to making tents. Enough is enough. Kept serving. And toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, apart from all of that, he says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Just a burden for the people of God. He, do you think he was ever tempted to pack it in? Like, like after the third shipwreck, do you kind of just go, you know, I just, I just pack this in. But the thing is, with all of the accounts of Paul's ministry, never once do we see him considering that. Never once do we, do we have him tempted to walk away from the ministry. We don't have him saying this isn't worth it. If he was tempted and it's not recorded, here's what we do know. He never gave in. He never quit. That seems to me that that, what we just read from Paul, that's the standard for when it's hard. Because it was really hard for him. And he just kept serving. But here's our list of so-called hardships. I mean, here are the things, and the difference is Paul went through all of that and didn't quit, but this list here, some of you are going to hear it and you're going to go, oh yeah, that was me and I did quit. That's the difference between our list and his. 
the list of so-called hardships that keep us from serving. I'm tired. I'm just tired. I'm tired on Sundays. I'm tired on Wednesdays. I can't serve at Awana. I'm tired. I just have a lot on my plate right now. I'm 58. The plate never empties. There's always a lot on your plate. If you're involved in people's lives, you have a family, if you have a job, there's always a lot on your plate. Work is crazy. I just can't cope. Some people are just like, you know what? Um, uh, kids are too young right now, so it's hard to serve. And a few years later, it's, well, the kids are older now. We use the excuse at both ends. I'm feeling a little sick. I have the sniffles. I have to get away for the weekend. We're just so spent. Oh, you know, we have the cottage. We have the trailer. The kids have a tournament. That's our only day for family. Well, you know, I don't serve because someone said something to me once that really offended me, and so I haven't served since. Life is hard. I, I get it. Serving is hard. And serving when life is hard requires grace from God. And the great news is God has lots of grace. So really, none of those excuses are great. Because Paul didn't consider any of his excuses to be great in terms of quitting. Now listen, again... Three points in out of five. That was all the easy part of the message. Now we're getting to the really hard stuff. And I know you don't come to harvest for a sugar-coated message with empty calories. You come here for steak and potatoes, am I right? You want to hear the full counsel of God. And in a message on serving as the means of grace, we have to look at the whole counsel of God to find out everything we need to hear about serving Jesus in this way. And so I have to tell you this, because it's in the scriptures. I will be judged if I don't serve. I will be judged if I don't serve. There's such a move today to make everything so positive, so happy, so affirming all of the time. We live in a culture that is everyone gets a ribbon which is a terrible thing to say two days before school starts because there's lots of teachers who are like, oh, everybody gets a ribbon. Everyone does not get a ribbon. I'm sorry, kids. There are winners and there are losers. And no matter how many ribbons they hang out, it's a farce. Writing to Christians in a church like ours, Paul says this, okay, he's writing to the Corinthian church, a church just like ours. He's writing to Christians, believers, people who profess faith in Christ. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3, now if anyone, Christians, if any Christian builds on the foundation, and he means the gospel, so the gospel's been preached, we've established this church, now ministry is happening, built off of that foundation of the gospel. If anyone builds on the foundation with now, this is going to sound like the three little pigs, okay, for a second. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, you get it? Like there's building going on. They're using different building materials. Is this not the three pigs? 
Some people, okay, so what he's saying here is there are some people doing God's work, serving in a way that builds the church and others not so much. They're using the wrong building materials. Each one's work, whatever you're building off the foundation of the gospel, each one's work will become manifest. It's going to be revealed for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So no big bad wolf coming, but fire is going to come and test every one of these homes. And the ones that are built with gold, silver, and precious stones are going to survive. The fire is not going to touch them, but the ones built with with hay and with straw and with wood are going to be consumed. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, gold, silver, precious stones, he will receive a reward. So there's a judgment coming for Christians. The result of the judgment is reward or not. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved because this is not a judgment of salvation. Salvation is by grace alone through Christ alone. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire or as the expression goes, you're saved by the skin of your teeth. Anything else you did after getting saved, if you're building with wood, hay, and straw, anything else you did after getting saved was useless. And in another letter to the same church, he said this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So this is a judgment that stands in contrast to the judgment of the living and the dead. This is not a judgment of salvation, but a judgment of works for those who are saved. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So again, talking to Christians, not the unsaved. Having been saved and skipping the great white throne judgment that separates the living and the dead. The question for us is facing that judgment. Are you producing good works in your life? Or are you producing something that's going to be burned up at the judgment seat? We have to think about this. And I'm compelled to share the warning. But it gets worse. Because your lack of heart, if you're in that third category who are serving not at all, your lack of heart to serve may be an indication of something far worse. For this, we go into the gospel, the gospel of Matthew and the account of the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that the failure, the failure to serve the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned, the failure to serve that group of vulnerable people is an indication that you are not his at all. You may profess Christ, but you're not his. 
goats. Separated the judgment because of your lack of care for others. That's the, it's not that that was earning your salvation, but it was an indicator whether you were saved or not. Our unwillingness to serve, and, and this is the punchline that comes when you think about this, because there are those who are willing to serve and do, and those who are unwilling and don't. And the punchline that comes from Jesus as he gives this account this is what Jesus said to those who did serve, those, those who, who did feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and, 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 and welcome the stranger and clothe the naked and, and visit the sick and in prison. Jesus said, when you did this, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, he says, you did it to me. When you clothed the naked, you were clothing Jesus. When you fed the hungry, you were feeding Jesus. We have to think this way when it comes to ministry. When you're, when you're a small group leader for grade nine boys, if you're not leading grade nine boys, you're leading Jesus, you're caring for Jesus. When you're, when you're in here vacuuming carpets, you're vacuuming Jesus's carpets, not harvests. When you welcome at the door some stranger, someone you've never seen before, when you shake their hand and welcome and good to see you today, you're not saying that to the person coming through the door, you're saying it to Jesus. Every aspect of our ministry is care for the Lord himself as we love the people around us. That's what Jesus is saying here. When you love people, when you serve them, you're showing how much you love him. But the opposite is also true. It's an indicator of where our faith is really at. Because Jesus turned to the goats, the ones who did not feed the hungry or give drink to the thirsty. And he said, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. They will reveal the fact that they were never really saved. No matter how they professed faith in Christ. But the righteous into eternal lives. Eternal life. When you fail to love people and serve them. You fail to show love for the Lord. And you fail to serve him. And, and here's what's beautiful about this picture is this is the very thing that keeps us in ministry. If we go back to thinking about why ministry can be hard and why it can be hard because people are difficult to lead and to serve, but this is the thing that keeps you in. And I'll just speak very personally as a pastor because there's lots of temptations. I'm almost 30 years as a pastor now. There's plenty of times when people have been very difficult very difficult on me. I'm not the only one. Every pastor experiences it. It's not a pity party right now. But I'm telling you, the only thing that keeps me doing it when people become very difficult is the fact that I don't ever think I'm doing it for you. I don't preach for you. I don't counsel for your sake. I don't lead this church for your sake. I do it for the Lord. And it's the only, when, you're, when you're going like that person, 
They're treating me poorly right now and I've blessed them and ministered to them and cared for them over the years and they're treating me like garbage right now. It doesn't matter because I wasn't doing it for them. And so when people mistreat you in ministries or you feel unappreciated in, in serving, it doesn't matter. You're not doing it for the people around you. You're not, you're not doing it in youth ministry. You're not doing it for, for the grade 10 girls. You're doing it for Jesus. That's the only thing that keeps you going. And so we have to, because if we don't, we're going to be judged. All right, finally, you got one more in you? You good for one more? This one's easy. I serve with my focus on the finish line. In fact, if we, if we don't serve with our focus on the finish line, we'll lose heart along the way. And by finish line, I mean um, either the end of our own life. So I'm, by finish line, I don't mean like the end of the ministry year or when I retire at 65 or, or um, I mean, what I mean is when you die, like t- you're breathing your last breath. That's the finish line. Or, or if Jesus appears in the clouds to take us home, that's the finish line. So I got to get my eyes on the end of my life or the end of time when, when Christ comes to consummate history. So Paul's second letter, I'm going to serve with my focus on the finish line. Paul's second letter to Timothy is actually known, commonly known as his dying epistle. It's the last thing he wrote. He was on death row in Rome. He had a very good sense that the end was near. And uh, the, there's a lot of emotion in the letter. You can just read that and, and hear it. And as, as he was reflecting on his life and ministry, this is what he said toward the end of the letter. This is what he wrote to Timothy. He said, I've fought, I've fought the good fight. He's reflecting back on his entire life. He goes, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Now, I want you, as best you're able right now, to insert yourself into that situation. And I want you to project forward to the day of your death. Let's say the Lord gives you the advantage of being able to be reflective toward the end of your life, and you know the end is coming, and you're able to think about some things. So think now to that day. And I want you to ask yourself the question whether or not you could say the same thing that the Apostle Paul said in his letter to Timothy. Could you say that about your life? Could you write that in your final journal entry? Could you say that to someone who came to visit? I spent my life fighting the good fight. I... I've run this race as best I can. I'm finishing it well. I have kept the faith in every possible way that one can keep the faith. I didn't quit. I served others. I loved God and loved people. I made my life about the gospel. I mean, I would, I would want that for my own life. I would hope that you would want to be able to say that at the end of your life. And Paul gave his life for the gospel. And I mean that in the most literal terms. 
He gave his life for the gospel. According to tradition, he was beheaded in Rome after a long imprisonment. And all of it for the sake of the ministry of the gospel that he was called to. Paul gave his life. And some of you are sitting here and you're not even willing to give 90 minutes once a week or once a month even to help out and harvest kids, to stand at a door and greet people or vacuum a carpet. Paul had been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It so radically changed him that he spent his life proclaiming that same gospel to others that they would be saved. You have been saved. If you're a Christian, if you're professing faith in Christ, you've been saved by that very same gospel, by the very same death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And are you still unwilling then to even give a minute of your time in a week to serve Jesus? It's concerning. But when you get your focus then on the finish line, you start to think about the end game rather than on all the temptations that are around us, because that's why we don't serve all the temptations, all the trappings that pull us off the mark in the immediate. But when you get your focus on the finish line, it will reorder your priorities such that you will find the time to serve Jesus by serving people. And it's in that moment that the grace of God will flow to you and flow through you to others for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to observe the Lord's table in just a moment, and it's... Um, it's so appropriate that we would do so to cap off this message on serving because the Lord's table, of course, points to the death of Christ. And it, it was, the death of Christ was the ultimate act of sacrificial service to us. So it stands as the picture beyond the Apostle Paul, such a picture of sacrifice and service and love for us. And before we get there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us in just a moment, but um, before we get there, I, we really as a staff team wanted you to think about your response to this message. And so we've produced a small card. It's been a long time since we've done anything like this. I believe it's going to be up here on the screen as well. And it's simply a work for Christ um, at Harvest a card. And this is meant for you to take with you today. So on your way out, we're going to give you one of these cards. And it's for you to take and to pray about this week, think about this message, consider where you might serve. And then it's, it's just for you to fill in a pledge here. I will serve the Lord in, and you fill in the name of the ministry um, over this next ministry year and a place for you to sign it. Now, some of you who are already serving in ministries, we still want you to fill this out. Just fill it out and then bring it up next Sunday. We're going to have a time in the service. Where we're going to have an opportunity for you to come and just kind of pledge and put this at the front here and say, I'm, I'm in this year for serving. And uh, we're going to give cards out again next week as you come in for any who might have forgotten that. And if you're watching on the live stream, there's an electronic version of the card available in the sermon notes. You just link there and the card is available to you as well. 
And so it's for each one of us. If you're already serving, fill it in. If you're not yet serving and you want to be serving, fill it in and say, I, I intend to serve and this is where I want to serve. And, um, and we're going to pledge ourselves to that next week. And so let me pray for us right now and then we're going to go into a time uh, in the Lord's table and um, we'll remember the Lord's death here. Father, uh, I am grateful that you have been so uh, kind to us again today, that you have uh, poured out blessing on us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to reflect very carefully as individuals on what we've heard today. We know that so much is at stake for us personally and for the people around us and for the sake of the gospel mission that we've been entrusted with. And so, God, I pray that there would be great conviction falling on many. And, God, that your grace would be pouring out on others who are already serving and served so faithfully and have for many years. But, God, work in each one of our lives. And we believe that as we come together as believers to serve for the common good of all, that many more in our city in this area will come to faith in Jesus Christ, hearing and believing the gospel. So God, help us with this. And bless and sanctify this time too as we remember the sacrifice of your son. As we reflect on his body given uh, for us, as we reflect on his blood shed for us. I pray that we would come with gratitude and expectancy in light of the soon coming of our Lord. These things we pray in his beautiful name. Amen.